Welcome to Grace Abounds. I'm Pastor Jen Shaw, and in this podcast, I'm sharing my Sunday sermons from St. John's Lutheran Church, Palm Desert, California. I'm so grateful that you've joined us, and I trust that these words build you up in faith, hope, and love. I've shared before that in the summer of 2011, I had the opportunity to visit the Holy Land. And early one Sunday morning during that trip, a friend and I set out to walk the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, the path through Jerusalem traditionally understood to be the one that Jesus took from the place where he was sentenced by Pontius Pilate to the place where he died and was buried and rose again to life. And along this path are 14 stations of the cross, traditionally understood to be points that mark this journey of Jesus. My friend and I got immediately lost in the narrow winding roads of the ancient city, but we fairly quickly stumbled upon a large Scandinavian tour group and we realized that even though we couldn't understand what the guide was saying, we could trail along behind them as they walked the 14 stations of the cross. I recall in particular the seventh station, the station where, traditionally understood, Jesus fell a second time. I was so struck by that, a second time. I stood there picturing Jesus beaten and bloodied and so physically weak that he fell again as he carried the cross. And I was overwhelmed with what a beautiful and painful act of love this was, that the God of all creation would suffer this to heal me, to heal us, to heal the whole world. As Jesus explains to his disciples in our gospel reading for today, by this point in Mark's gospel narrative, Jesus has been with the disciples for a while now. They have been following him from place to place as he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, doing the good work and speaking the good news of the kingdom of God. The disciples were with Jesus when he healed Peter's mother-in-law and the daughter of a Seraphonician woman, when he healed and forgave the sins of a man who had been paralyzed despite the objections of the religious authorities, when he freed a man who had been captive to demonic forces when he miraculously fed thousands on a hillside with five loaves of bread and two fish, when he calmed a storm at sea and his terrified disciples with the words, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, as he walked over the waters to join them in the boat. And here, in the midst of his public ministry, Jesus goes with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi and asks them, who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond that people are saying that Jesus is John the Baptist or Elisha or one of the other prophets. 
And Jesus does stand in the long line of prophets who spoke and enacted the word of the Lord. And Jesus is so much more. And so he presses his disciples. He makes it personal. He wants to hear from them. He wants to hear from you. But who do you say that I am? And in a moment of divine inspiration, Peter speaks the gospel truth. You are the Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one. In Greek, the word is Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, is the one anointed, commissioned, given by God to save us and the whole creation, free us from oppression, bring ultimate and lasting peace. And in response to Peter's declaration, Jesus begins to teach his disciples what it means that he is the Messiah and how it is he will save the world. He will undergo great suffering, be rejected by religious and political authorities, and be killed, and on the third day rise again to life. This is clearly not what Peter and likely the other disciples were expecting. They were expecting that the Messiah would be a national king in the line of King David, who would overthrow the Romans who were oppressing them, a political leader who would use violence, if necessary, to overcome their adversaries, a ruler who would inflict suffering and death on their enemies and on the wicked among them, not experience suffering and death himself. And so Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him, scolds him, tells him to stop saying these things. Imagine the strength of Peter's friendship with Jesus that he felt he could even do so. And here, Peter demonstrates the wisdom expressed by James in James 3. Our words matter. What we say to each other has significance. Words can hurt like sticks and stones, despite the popular saying. As James affirms, our tongues can communicate good and evil, bless and curse, speak the gospel truth and malicious lies. And Peter does both in a matter of moments. And so Jesus, turning to make sure that the other disciples are in on the conversation, rebukes Peter with the strong words, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. By setting his mind on human things, not divine things, Peter acts as an adversary against God and God's good purposes. He gets out in front of Jesus and speaks against his mission to save the world through his suffering, death, and resurrection. He tempts Jesus to avoid what is going to happen. And this is the role of Satan, the adversary, the tempter. 
the liar. This is the wrong place for Peter to be. And so Jesus tells Peter to be in the right place. Get behind me. Follow me. In the way of sacrificial, triumphant, life-giving love, come with me to the cross and the empty tomb. From suffering to victory, through death to life eternal. Jesus says to Peter and the disciples and the crowds, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. These are active verbs, not passive. This is what we are to do as followers of Christ, not what's done to us. Jesus is not speaking here of the hardships we endure as we live in this world broken by human sin. In the words of Professor Matt Skinner, self-denial does not mean seeking or embracing abuse for its own sake, as if suffering itself is redemptive or a mark of virtue. Jesus has spent over seven chapters alleviating needless suffering or oppression whenever he encounters it, how could he be endorsing these things here? Do not allow this text to perpetrate or excuse victimization. The kind of suffering Jesus acknowledges as a reality in this passage is a particular kind. Persecution suffered. Persecution resulting from following him. As we follow Jesus, as we do his good work and share his good news, as we help to heal people, advocate for those who are suffering, speak out against evil, work for justice and peace, live differently than the culture around us, as Jesus and his disciples did, we will come into conflict with the powers and principalities of this fallen world and we will suffer for it, as Jesus and his disciples did, including Peter, who followed Jesus, who after the ascension led the early church, who set his mind on divine things as he grew in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter gave his life for the sake of the gospel. Jesus the Christ, God in the flesh, God with us, did as he said he would, undergo great suffering, joining with us in our humanity, in the whole of our experience in this broken world, assuring us that we are never alone. He died on the cross taking our death as his own and freeing us from it forever. He rose again to life on the third day, taking us with him into life eternal and abundant, life now and forever, life that does not end. He has destroyed death forever. Jesus Christ, like the suffering servant spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, set his face like flint as he endured the cross for the joy 
that was set before him. He did not turn away. He gave his back to those who struck him. He gave his beard to those who pulled out his hair. He gave his cheeks to those who spat at him. And he did this all in sacrificial, triumphant, life-giving love. As Martin Luther affirms in his Theology of the Cross, God, our Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, chose to be revealed in suffering. If you want to know who God is and how God feels about you, look to Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ reveals that the God of all creation loves us, is with us no matter what happens to us, is present even in our pain. St. Julian of Norwich was a Christian mystic who lived in England in the 1300s. And when she was 30 years old, she experienced an illness so severe that she thought she was on her deathbed. And during that time, she had visions of Jesus, conversations with him, that after she recovered, she wrote down in a book entitled Revelations of Divine Love, the first book written by a woman in the English language. And in that book, she shares that at one point during her illness, she was questioning about sin and suffering, about the brokenness of this world, about her own pain. And Jesus came to her and did not give her an explanation. Jesus gave her this promise, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. Jesus Christ arose, and so will we. After crucifixion comes resurrection, after death comes life. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. In the words of Psalm 116, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. For you have delivered my life from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walk in the presence of the Lord, in the land of the living. One day, sin and suffering and death will come to an end. One day, all things will be made new. One day, in the fullness of time known only to God, Christ will come again, and we will join him in glory. In the meantime, in this time, may we follow Jesus. May we give ourselves for the good of others as he gave himself for us. May we live in sacrificial, triumphant, life-giving love. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're doing this every week, so make sure to subscribe. 
If you'd like more information about St. John's mission to know Christ and make Christ known, visit our website, stjohnslutheran.church. May God bless you on this day and in all the days ahead.